The most recent book from the Bible, the Gospel of John, was written nearly 2,000 years ago, and much of the Bible is much older than that. How can we understand what it might mean for today? That's the subject of this episode, episode 8. Welcome to the Bible Journeys podcast. Your traveling companion is Ed Dickerson, an author, teacher, and scholar. He holds a master's degree in religious education from Andrews University. As you explore together, you will learn tools and techniques that illuminate scripture, renew your faith, and brighten your journey. Episode 8, Significance Across Time. We've been learning how to read the Bible as it was intended to be read, and we've been learning to read it in a way that the author, we understand what the author meant and what his audience understood and what they believed. But then the question is, what should we do about it today? What significance does it have for us today? And that's what we're going to be looking at, at least to start, in this episode. Don't forget that uh, we're talking about the time of Nehemiah, which is after 70 years of captivity, uh, and the people had gotten, they would not had a temple, they would not had a place to worship, and when they went back to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem, uh, they had forgotten much of what they had known before. And so they have Ezra the priest and other priests who read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Already in 70 years, they had lost some of the idea of the meaning. So we're a lot farther along than that. The question then becomes, how do we make sure that we understand what was being read and what does it mean again for us today? Now, we talked about there are three basic steps in this process. The first one is the journey of discovery. What did the author actually say? The journey of exploration. What was the time and the culture? How did they understand what he said. What did they believe about what he said? And we've done those two already. Now we're going to look at the journey of reflection. That's what it meant for them at that time. Does it have meaning for us today or does it not? And I find that increasingly people don't do the third step and therefore believe most of it to be a dead letter. The Bible becomes a dead letter if it has no meaning for today. So we're going to be using the word prophet quite a bit. So I want to look at how it means, what it means to be a prophet. And here we are from Exodus 7 and 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a prophet, like God to the Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So he's made Moses like God, he says to Pharaoh, because he'll be communicating God's message. But then Aaron will communicate Moses' message because Moses said, I have a heavy tongue. That's the literal meaning. I don't speak very well. The prophet is the one who communicates God's messages to humans. Now, uh, in 2 Timothy, Timothy, we have a description of Scripture. And since Scripture consists of God's messages to humanity through prophets... We can use that definition of a, for a prophet's role as well. So we can look at this. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, 
for training in righteousness so that a man, the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. This is what we're told in 2 Timothy. What 2 Timothy was told by Paul. And here we have it then. A prophet is inspired by God and his prophecy is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, all of those things. Now, most of the people, when we say the word prophet, think of predictions about the future. And that idea intrigues us naturally. We'd like to be in the know. What is going to happen? At least we think we do. Someday we'll talk about how maybe that's not such a good idea. But putting us in the know is neither the purpose nor the effect of prophecy. And so, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what do you mean it's neither the effect nor the purpose? Well, look at what's missing here. What's missing from this list is foretelling the future. So what are we to do about that? Because we think of prophecy as foretelling the future, but most of the time, prophecy is not about foretelling the future. It is about communicating God's message to his people at that moment, at that time. And in John 14, Jesus tells the disciples, and this is part of his farewell address. As he is going to be crucified within 24 hours, he's trying to prepare them for this shocking and difficult new world they'll be in. I have told you before it happens, he says, so that when it happens, you may believe. The purpose of predictive prophecy tells us, the purpose is to help us to believe. A predictive prophecy tells us what will happen, but not how or in what circumstances. And even knowing what does not guarantee that we will recognize it when it takes place. As we shall see, with all those limitations, how then do we understand predictive prophecies? Well, as it turns out, Danish theologian and philosopher Søren Kierkegaard provides an insight into that very question. Life, he says, can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And I can tell you at my age, I'm beginning to understand that. Things which made no sense 40 years ago suddenly make a lot of sense, but only in retrospect. And this is the way prophecy works as well. Uh, most Christians agree that there are numerous prophecies in the Old Testament that point forward to the coming of the Messiah. Yet, when he came, most rejected him. Uh, and especially those who had studied so much about him. They had studied the Old Testament. Even his disciples did not understand what these prophecies meant up to and even including Resurrection Sunday. How can I say that they did not understand? Well, Luke tells us in the last chapter of his gospel in a very familiar story. It's the road to Emmaus. And one of the things they say is they're explaining to Jesus, whom they do not recognize, which is, I think, very metaphorical for the fact that they never really recognized, even to this point, after the resurrection, what he was and what he was about. They did not fully recognize him. 
And here's what they said as they related the events. He said, you know, what are you talking about? And they related the events of the uh, recent weekend. Our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. Despite being with him for three and a half years, they still managed not to be in the know. So if that was the purpose, it failed. Jesus explained that the very things which caused them to doubt, in fact, provided the final evidence confirming his status and his mission. His crucifixion and death did not signal his failure as a Messiah, but instead were necessary for him to fulfill that role. So here we are back again with uh, Kierkegaard. So when it happens, it builds their faith. That's the purpose of it. If this is true about the disciples after living with Jesus for three and a half years, and considering many messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, how much more would it be true of other prophecies and of us who have not lived in his presence physically for three and a half years. So we come back to Kierkegaard, prophecy. Prophecy like life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We must look forward to the fulfillment, but we won't understand it. The same is true here with prophecy. We look forward to its fulfillment, but we only understand it fully or as fully as we can, after it is fulfilled. So we should not go hunting in Scripture for predictive prophecies, hoping that they will tell us exactly what and how is going to happen. We know what, but how and when will catch us off guard, very likely. There are many indications, so many texts that say exactly that. So again, the role of a prophet primarily is not to predict the future, but to speak for God. And that's where you get these for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. There's admonition, there's encouragement. There are many things. That is the purpose and effect of most prophecy in Scripture and otherwise. So we're back to this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. The prophet communicates God's messages to humans. Some messages focus mainly on the future. Most focus mainly on the present. It's what I call actionable intelligence. Foretelling uh, and forthtelling are the two categories that's, that theologians talk about when they talk about prophecy. Foretelling concerns what will happen in the future. And forthtelling concerns what should be done in the present. And actually, in many ways, the second is more important than the first. It doesn't mean that prophecy isn't important, but in proportion, we find in Scripture, there's far more forthtelling then there is foretelling, and that's because we are in constant need of foretelling. Again, theologians call predictive prophecy foretelling. All the rest, by far the most of prophecy, is described as foretelling. 
And I call that actionable intelligence. It's what you need on the battlefield. And life is a battle. We're in a great battle with Satan on a regular basis. And so it's nice to know that God's going to win. That gives us hope and, and helps us have faith for the future. But what we need to know most of the time is what should I do right now? How do I fulfill God's will in my life today, right now? That's the most important part. And there's a great example of this, something called the story of the lost battalion. This is from an article I wrote a number of years ago. During World War I, the 77th Division, with more than 555 men under the command of Major Charles Whittlesey, advanced into the Argonne Forest in France. Their advance was to have been supported on the left by a French unit and on the right by an American one. Unfortunately, the attacks by their flanking units failed, but headquarters could not reach the 77th to inform them of their situation and authorize a retreat. Remember, this is World War I. There wasn't radio around. Isolated and far in advance of the other friendly units, enemy forces quickly cut off and surrounded the 77th Division for six days. They fought and died alone. The Lost Battalion. Runners sent to inform headquarters of the 77th's location and plight repeatedly lost their way or were captured by the Germans. For their part, headquarters did not know where the 77th was or even if they still existed as a fighting force to make matters worse. On the third day of their ordeal, Allied artillery began falling on the 77th. In desperation, Whittlesey began releasing carrier pigeons, the first carrying the message, many wounded, we cannot evacuate, was shot down by surrounding German troops. Whittlesey then released a second pigeon with the message, Men are suffering. Can support be sent? That bird suffered the same fate as the first. The third and last pigeon, named Cher Ami, I'll note here, my friend in French, was released carrying the following message, We are along the road parallel to 276.4. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it! Cher Ami also fell, but somehow managed to take flight again. The blood-covered bird made it back to headquarters about an hour later, despite being blinded in one eye and having its right foot dangling by a tendon. The artillery barrage stopped moments later. The men themselves credited the carrier pigeon's share ami and the message it carried with saving all who survived. Finally, after six days, relief reached the 77th Division, who by this time had run out of food and nearly out of ammunition. Of the more than 555 men who walked into the Ardennes less than a week earlier, only 194 walked out. 
all the rest had been killed, wounded, or were simply missing. The lost battalion found itself alone and in mortal danger because it could no longer receive instructions from command headquarters. Communications are essential to every human endeavor, but especially in conflict. And again, we are engaged in conflict. There is an adversary of souls. And so the fourth telling is essential on a regular basis. God's people need to know. And one of the ways we can find out is we can find the principles then the foretelling that took place in other circumstances. We can find the principle behind that and then apply that principle to our own circumstances, our own situations. And once again, if we don't do this, we end up with a dead letter. It's no good. It just sits there. Well, that's what happened to them, and that's what we were told about. In fact, I heard this recently uh, about uh, Romans 1 and said, well, uh, <clears throat> Paul said, because men turn to worshiping idols, actual uh, statues of gold and silver and stone and so forth, that a series of calamities befell them. A series of things happened as a result of that idol worship. But I recently heard someone say, seriously, well, but we don't worship idols, so that doesn't apply to us. Well, there's a principle behind that because we don't have to actually worship idols of gold and silver or stone for that to be applicable. Or if we do, then Romans is of little use to us, at least for Romans 1. And in fact, that goes for almost all of Scripture. We don't do the things they did. We've said it was for a different culture in a different time under different circumstances. And if we cannot make that apply to our own circumstances in our own time and place, then it's useless. And this idea of actionable intelligence, of foretelling, is not just in war. Any business owner or administrator of any large institution will tell you that it's more useful to have advice about which course of, to take today rather than to be given a detailed knowledge of some distant tomorrow. And so we can see that prophecy in the sense of foretelling, because, and the, the majority of prophecy is indeed foretelling, is a divine resource which we desperately need, and we need in that proportion. We need much more advice about what to do today to live God's kingdom life here and now. Much more than we need to know about what's going to happen in the future. Knowing that we're going to win, knowing that it will never be in vain, that's great, that's wonderful. And having our faith built by seeing that God's prophecies about past events have taken place, that's good too. But then we need, on a much more uh, urgent and continuous basis, we need this forth telling. And so those are the three steps that we undertake in uh, the three journeys that we undertake in understanding the Bible. And we have to be able to do this. The journey of discovery, the journey of exploration, and the journey of reflection. And that makes all of our journeys through the Bible more useful for today. And that's so important.
Well, I apologize for the uh, tardiness of this. I had both uh, some personal health issues and some technical issues that delay this. We're going to get right on this. And next, we're going to start taking the stories. We said, read the Bible as it, meant, it was meant to be read. It was meant to be read. Most of it is story because most of it is story. And we're going to start doing that, taking these skills that we've described and understanding a story in, in this life. And the stories, I can tell you, are exciting. And the first one I intend to take on is one that we all know very well, except for the whole point of the thing and the principles, the reflection, what it means for us today. Thank you for being with me. The journey of reflection is discerning how yesterday's actionable intelligence applies to today's circumstances. That is the biggest job. Again, prophecy is going to take place in the future. We can understand what but we don't necessarily know how and in what circumstances. And again, the, the record of Scripture is that we will be surprised. Because God is imaginative and creative, and we tend to, be, we tend to relate things as we've always expected them and as we've seen them before. So how do we take what was forth-telling in the past and important, and how do we apply that to today's life? Scripture was written for other people, speaking a different language in a different culture, time, and place. Omitting reflection, as I said earlier, renders most of Scripture a dead letter. And that's a real problem. It's supposed to have meaning and value for us today. So, when this actionable intelligence is given, when this forth-telling takes place, a prophet does one of two things. Now, this is primarily about forth-telling, not about predictive prophecy or foretelling. They do one of two things. Either they state a principle, and a principle is something which is true for all people in all places, in all cultures, at all times. That's what a principle is. It's always true under all circumstances. But they, they could, they can do that. Or they apply the principle to a particular set of circumstances. Now again, I want to say that a principle is a fundamental truth which applies to all people in all cultures and circumstances in all places and at all times. That's what a principle is. But if you're not, if you're if you're applying a principle, you're not stating the principle. It's back in the back of your mind, and so it is possible, as we see, for example, in Corinthians and Galatians, Paul is applying a principle, and he tells one of them to be more concerned about doing the right things, and he tells the Galatians to be less concerned about the law and more concerned about grace. And they can seem contradictory, but in fact, there's a principle. To which he is pushing on both sides. And that's what happens. It can appear contradictory to the person who's not versed, who doesn't pay attention. But in fact, by applying the principle to the time, he's reaffirming 
the principle. I say he, there were prophetesses in the Bible, but we don't have any of their writings as far as I know. The application of a principle expresses the meaning and implement and the implementation of a principle within a, within a particular set of circumstances and so forth. So how does that, what does that mean here? And I, I have experience of this because I helped pass a law once, uh, more than one law actually, and I also helped write the regulations because you see this, the legislature cannot cope with every instance. They, they, they set forth, if you will, principles, although it's a little more detailed than that. But they set forth, here's what we want to accomplish. That leaves aside the whole issue of how you're going to accomplish it. First of all, it would take forever if we asked the legislature to do that. And secondly, they're not equipped to do it. They don't, they're not experts in a particular field. And so the regulations are written to implement what the statute says. That's very similar to what happens here. There's a principle, but how do you implement that principle? What does it mean here and now in our circumstances? And that makes the Bible practical. Reflection has then, the journey of reflection first determines if the prophetic message is a principle or an application. It's a very, it's, it's a very simple, but not easy. Most things in life that are important are simple, but not easy. And that is, is this a universal truth that is always applied, or does it is it being applied to a particular set of circumstances? That's an important understanding. So first, that's the first step in the reflection. The second step then is, is if it is an application, what is the principle? And you may have to find several applications of the principle. Uh, as I said, for example, Corinthians and Galatians have differing things to say about the law. And then it applies, then we find, when we find that principle, then we apply that principle to our present situation, our present set of circumstances. And that's important. That's what makes scripture a living word today. So, again, most prophecy is forthtelling, providing actionable intelligence, and it is either, uh, it either declares a principle or it applies a principle. Remember those basic things. We can go through those. The purpose of predictive prophecy, again, is foretelling. Foretelling. And it is to build our faith. Foretelling is to build our faith. If you've gained something from this discussion, please be sure to share it with someone, because those who join our Bible journeys here can become our traveling companions for eternity.